Welcome to Leaders and Legends of Online Learning, a podcast dedicated to the experts. Thank you for listening. Each episode, we'll be learning from the world's leading thinkers and practitioners in online learning and linking to ideas relevant to online teaching, working with online learners, and digital education. You can listen to the experts and check their profiles and link to some of their work on our website, www.onlinelearninglegends.com. I'm Mark Nichols, the interviewer in this episode. You'll meet Associate Professor Aras Boskert in this episode. Aras is Associate Professor of Distance Education with Anadolu University in Turkey, with an international scholarship in distance education and blended learning. Listen out for four periods of online education and applications of online learning based on distance education theory. It's my pleasure to be talking with Aras Bozkurt, who is Associate Professor of Distance Education with Anadolu University in Turkey. Aras is an international scholar in distance education and blended learning, and is an executive editor of the Asian Journal of Distance Education. Great to be talking with you, Aras. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, I'm glad to be a part of the leaders and legends of the online learning community. Can we start with a brief overview of your career and publications? As a matter of fact, I never imagined uh, a career in academia, but here I am. Um, I was really a good lifelong learner, still a good one. And that being so, somehow introduced me to the field of distance education. Here in Turkey, distance education has a long tradition. And I remember that I was watching lectures on a TV named TRT4 uh, as a part of Anadolu University Open Education Faculty. Interestingly, once watching these lectures with interest, I am currently working as a researcher and faculty member at the same institution. I, I always believed that our experiences define us, and I also strongly advocate that if you want to learn swimming, you should go into the sea, uh, you should get wet and feel the water surrounding you. In this sense, I believed that If I work on distance education, I should experience it not only as a researcher, but also as a student. I mean, um, I had to be an insider. Therefore, after graduating from university, I got a second high school degree, which was delivered as an open and distance learning program. And I also got another undergraduate degree from the Open Education Faculty of Anadolu University. Of course, my earlier experience, uh, earlier distance education experiences as an insider were not intentional, but I see that these experiences somehow guided me throughout my career. Um, you know, before working uh, at academia, at university, I was a language teacher and um, I worked for several, several years, but The passion to research motivated me to change my career. Once my friend told me that there is a, a MA program here at Anadolu University on distance education. And when I heard that program for the first time, I told myself, that is the one I was looking for. And uh, once a student at this program, now I teach and research at the same program and I really feel fortunate to be a part of it. Um, When it comes to my research, I see that both my personal traits and my early experiences in open uh, online and distance education are reflected in my research. 
I I believe that networks, more specifically, online networks are really powerful. And therefore, during my PhD, I I studied uh, changing learner and instructor roles in online networked spaces. Um, it was a mixed methods research, and social network analysis was one of the analytical approaches I used. Um, assuming that learning is social, I liked seeing and investigating online learning from the perspective of uh, learning ecosystems. And again, social network analysis was really helpful to me. And now many of my publications use networking uh, and ecosystem views as a lens to, to interpret my findings. Again, um, I, I realized that networks are everywhere, including the research papers. When we intentionally write a title, use keywords and describe our work with uh, a limited number of words in the abstract, in fact, we create a lexical network. Uh, when we cite other references and when our works are being cited by other papers, they create an intellectual network. Then I started the research, the research. Many of my recent uh, publications now use data mining and analytical approaches such as text mining, sentiment analysis, or social network analysis. Um, one of the latest um, examples of such a publication is Intellectual Roots of Distance Education, a progressive knowledge domain analysis published at Distance Education. And another one is Trends and Patterns in Distance Education, a synthesis of scholarly publications and visualization of the intellectual landscape published at Erodio. I also would like to note that I recently started adding Easter eggs, hidden messages, and metaphors to the editorials I have written. I mean, some of my publications in include more than critical, so-called critical ideas, but they also offer many mysteries to unlock. For instance, the latest editorial entitled Digital Transformation and the Way We Misinterpret Technology and uh, the previous one, which is entitled In Pursuit of the Right Mix, Blended Learning for Augmenting, Enhancing, and Enriching Flexibility are worth exploring if you want to find interesting things in the intellectual mazes. As you see, my career has a lot of footprints going back to my past, and my publications are actually a way for me to to express myself and my professional identity. I really like that. Uh, the publications are a way of expressing yourself and your professional identity. So there's been a lot of research publications that you've um, published over the last few years. What are some of the key themes and key ideas that your work has provided that you think are particularly pertinent today? Uh, to me, educational technology and distance education, when I say distance education, I also refer you know, e-learning, online learning, etc., these fields are converging. They are not two separate things. And the, the field of distance education and probably other fields are being more interdisciplinary. This is one of the observations. And in a general sense, uh, my publications have a lot of references to ideas of online learning ecosystems in which I see learning not an isolated process, but as an interconnected process to the entire social systems we engage in. 
I see that before COVID-19 pandemic, this idea has captured a lot of attention due to capacity increase in online networks and what they promise in terms of teaching and learning. And I frequently use social network analysis to capture, report, map, and visualize learner behaviors in network online learning spaces. I, I find uh, social network analysis very useful because it provides me uh, more uh, real user data than biased self-reported data that can be collected through online surveys or scales. Uh, in terms of methodological approaches, um, I see that you know the the uh, approaches I use also gaining more attention recently. I observed that uh, traditional methodological paradigms are in in some cases incapable of understanding the complexity of today's online learning ecosystems and I see that many data mining and analytical approaches are being adopted more and more. Besides, you know, I always believe that there is a shadow war between quantitative and qualitative research paradigms. <laughs> and yeah. this shadow war is getting to an end. Researchers and many journals now value both research paradigms, I mean, both qualitative and quantitative. And I also see that due to online learning and uh, online spaces, you know, people are uh, encouraged to use new innovative research techniques such as uh, social network analysis. Um, in short, you know, I focused on networked learning and online learning ecosystems and I see that these notions are widely adopted, especially in recent years, both as a topic and uh, innovative methodological uh, paradigms. I want to just probe you a little bit. You've used the terms distance education, online learning, e-learning, and of course you've also published in blended learning. How do you tell those terms apart? What are the differences that you discern across them? It is really difficult to to give you an exact definition because I see that, for example, um, distance education or open and uh, online learning, you know, these terms are uh, contextualized according to the uh, cultural backgrounds, social backgrounds, and socioeconomic backgrounds. So what I defined probably wouldn't fit, you know, for some people in some part of the world. So it's it's really challenging. But, you know, in a general sense, I see distance education as a generic umbrella term and uh, because of the emerging needs and uh, uh, emerging technologies, I see that new um, terms are emerging like online learning, e-learning, mobile learning, e-learning, ubiquitous learning, um, open-end distributed learning. I mean, there are a lot of terms, but the the generic term is, uh, to me, uh, distance education. So it's now uh, heading towards late 2022. Uh, we've come through well, two years, possibly three now of COVID-19, uh, a lot of change in the education sector. What are your observations about online learning and education at the moment? It will be a bit historical, but you know, my observations about online learning can be narrated in for characteristics periods. The first period, you know, I have to tell this to, to give you the background. The first period is the 1990s. During, you know, that time, distance education was approached with caution 
we see many meta-analyses conducted that time to prove the effectiveness of distance education. People were skeptical against online distance education. This can be easily identified in research trends and patterns. The second period is the decade between 2000 and 2010. Uh, by the beginning of the 2000, online technologies have become widespread, which paved the way for online learning and is being part of the mainstream education. The third period, you know, I'm getting closer to today. Uh, the third period covers between 2010 and the time until COVID-19 hit us. During the third period, I think we all witnessed that educational technologies are used to level up online learning. We had high bandwidth internet, high computing power, and many you know, uh, technological tools such as smartphones, which became available for many uh, and allowed us to connect from anywhere, anytime. You know, this is really important. Uh, we forged online learning pedagogies and conducted many experimental research during the uh, during this period. However, one thing that bothers me for the third period is blindly um, adopting educational technologies and arguing that each new technology will save education. Yeah. In fact, many ed- educators tend to believe that innovative technologies are the savior descending from the sky and they blindly followed popular discourses that these technologies would transform the entire educational system. <laughs> I think, you know, this type of researchers will always be among us and to avoid from such misconceptions, we should simply remember that technology is not an end, but rather a means. Mm. I think we should not reduce technology-driven approaches in in a single dimension. In contrast, we, we should have uh, a multidimensional perspective, which might include uh, social, cultural, pedagogical, and other critical variables that are necessary. And, you know, when it comes to your question, the final period refers to the time that COVID-19 pandemic knocked our doors. Um, can you imagine that, you know, during the uh, high COVID times, when the first waves hit the entire globe, you know, uh, the pandemic introduced us a strange new world where to be social means to keep distance and weirdly and interestingly, to be labeled positive has negative connotations. Mm. I mean, as a global society, we were then introduced with with the term new normal where emergency remote teaching and learning mostly applied across the world. Yeah. The thing, the issue that bothers me for the COVID-19 and probably for the post-COVID time is that many people assumed that online learning and emergency remote teaching and learning are the same thing, though they were two different things. Um, Looking back to the past two years, I believe that the pandemic was a great reset and it will have many consequences in, in the short and long term and Perhaps in such a critical time, uh, our efforts uh, to advocate and explain online learning uh, was not enough because I see that 
many people still, you know, refer what happened during the pandemic. I mean, they they label it, they brand it as online learning, and this is actually bad for the reputation of the effective uh, and planned uh, practices. Mm, mm. During the pandemic, I believe we had many educational sins as seen in the failure of uh, copying traditional face-to-face education and pasting it to online education and then arguing, oh, it's not working. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we never assume that it will work if we, if we design a learning uh, process in that way. The, the pandemic also introduced uh, new terms such as digital fatigue and burnout and reminded us digital divide is still a global problem. Um, the pandemic also provided an opportunity to see higher education naked. As we started wearing masks, the real features of higher education have been unmasked and we could now see higher education with no clothes to, to cover its faults. And the pandemic uh, taught us that it is high time for higher education to, to renew, recalibrate, and maybe reposition itself in the emerging educational landscape in the uh, so-called new normal. However, you know, such a notion would require that the, the institution of higher education if, if it wants to regenerate itself and be born again, like the phonics, it needs to rise from the ashes. But to do this, it must first uh, face the flames. And perhaps it is also time for online learning researchers and designers to, to face the flames. Because, uh, you know, in the future, these times will be really remarkable and the way we position ourselves uh, will define our future. So how we position and how we contextualize ourselves is really important and critical. Um, in brief, you know, these periods also show us that online learning is a dynamic field and we should constantly research to, to better understand the changing nature and possibilities that emerge with online technologies. Mm. I'm going to question you a bit there because you've raised a fascinating thought. What would a recalibrated education system look like? So you've talked about facing the flames and having an opportunity to regenerate uh, what universities might do, how education might take place. Do you have a vision there of what that might look like? You know, this is my personal observation, but I see that the entire educational system, especially the higher education system, is being more quantified. I mean, uh, university rankings, the number of publications, mm. uh, the, the fees required uh, from the students' exact driving, all are linked to quantified values. And mm. if we want to reposition, recalibrate higher education, uh, we can start by prioritizing the pedagogy of care, uh, humanizing the learning processes, and maybe providing you know, different entry points uh, to, to ensure equality and social justice in, in the educational landscape. Even you know, these simple steps would change many things. And 
Unfortunately, we always talk about these terms, but, you know, we just talk. We need something in practice. I mean, we need to uh, take action immediately if we want to see the results. So in, in emergency remote teaching, it's almost like we took face-to-face and did it through Zoom. Um, so dis- distance education classically will look a bit different, uh, perhaps with um, pre-developed materials, um, clear study patterns, all those sorts of things. You know, we know that during the pandemic, uh, people just lectured in front of the screens and in many times uh, students are not alone to turn on their cameras and uh, microphones or they intentionally didn't turn them on. If they are doing in that way, that means during the uh, normal times before the pandemic, I mean, during the uh, on-site face-to-face education, they were just lecturing. There is no collaboration, inclusion, etc. I mean, this was kind of a reflection of the past experiences. And, you know, I told you during the pandemic, we have seen the higher education system naked. I mean, I was meaning that. Actually, you know, there are a lot of lessons to to learn from the pandemic experience. And I think uh, most of the world failed in delivering a good educational uh, process. Yeah. So what do you think should have been done? Um, as a distance educator, you teach differently than an emergency remote teacher. So what are some of those differences? Um, what is it that makes distance education so different from emergency remote teaching? The biggest difference between emergency remote teaching and learning and uh, planned distance education or online learning, you know, uh, one is optional and the other one is obligation. And if you are forced to do learning delivery system that you are not motivated, you know, expectedly you cannot get uh, good results. Uh, I always, you know, argue that Online learning uh, is one thing. On-site, face-to-face learning is another thing. But, you know, these are optional things. You cannot force people to learn uh, throughout one of these modalities. And during the pandemic, one of the mistakes we did was forcing people. I think we, we just overdosed them with many online things, and uh, that was the biggest difference. So that's a, a hard question, I'm sure. Uh, the research you'd most like to see, if you could apply yourself to any research question and have a, a fairly healthy budget, what would you research? What would you look into? I would like to talk about three lines of research. The first one is needed to uh, to better understand online distance education and to build upon its theoretical pillars. Probably, you know, These topics would would be pedagogy of care, emotional presence, and um, transactional distance. However, um, I would like to give a special emphasis on transactional distance because I believe that the way we define transactional distance evolves in time. Um, Transactional distance is, is usually referred to as communicational and psychological distance and as the online technologies advance, the way we communicate and uh, our psychological perception transforms. Uh, for instance, uh, considering social media, uh, social media 
highly influenced uh, transactional distance and it is not the same term as it appeared decades ago. Therefore, I believe that we need to revisit transactional distance from time to time to update its definition and uh, our perception. The second one would focus on online learning from the perspective of social dimension. Um, these topics would be digital identity building and online community formation. I can also add network learning to this group with a special emphasis on theoretical research. Uh, as, as argued years ago, online interactions are now beyond asking questions and replying them in the discussion forums. And our social presence in online learning spaces and the way we are perceived as real is higher when compared to, to the technologies used one or two uh, decades ago. Besides, uh, for many individuals, um, online networking is an integrated part of their lives. And I can really argue that the borders between uh, virtual online and physical offline words are blurring. You know, we, we hear that saying in many articles, but it's happening now. I, I'm very sure about that. So I believe that networked learning has still much to explore. The third line of research uh, is about trending hot topics. These topics would be uh, blended uh, hybrid learning, learning analytics, um, micro-credentials and artificial intelligence. Blended learning has a lot of potential for those who want to uh, benefit from the strengths of online and on-site learning. Learning analytics uh, offer more than statistically significant differences and provide us uh, deeper insights regarding the uh, learning processes in online spaces. Micro-credentials, I think it's really important because micro-credentials allow recognition of prior learning, meet the increasing demands from the business sector. And finally, um, micro-credentials are a way to update our education system because the way it designed curriculum is much different than we apply now. Um, when it comes to artificial intelligence, I think the future is there. Yet, with many uh, applications we see now, I think it is still an emerging technology and we need to be proactive to really benefit from it without being techno-fetish. And I think researchers uh, can study uh, ethics in artificial intelligence because I believe, you know, it will be a huge part of our learning processes in the future. And they can also explore the adaptive, uh, personalized learning opportunities it offers. A final remark, I mean, not only as a researcher and faculty member, but as an editor, uh, would be the research that I don't want to invest in. I don't want to see anymore. Uh, I, am, I am tired of seeing people they still compare and contrast virtual online education and face-to-face on-site education. They are not the same things to compare. Both have strengths and limitations. We have to adopt uh, when they best serve the 
serve for the benefits of the learners or we can adopt blended learning to increase our flexibility. We don't need to choose one side. In contrast, we need to be pragmatic and use what is working best for teaching and learning purposes. <laughs> yeah, well said. It's, it's good to see your distance education um, history coming through there too with Michael Moore's transactional distance. True. And also too, I think your second research area uh, picked up on the community of inquiry. Yes, yeah, so there's some deep theory that's underpinning uh, those questions. Aras, uh, two people you'd recommend as legends of online learning, uh, one whose work or perspective is significantly influencing you now, and one who you think otherwise might have an important perspective to share. Actually, you know, there are many names on my list, but I, I will just go to the past. And I think I am heavily influenced by the works of Dave Cormier, George Siemens, Terry Anderson, and John Duran. I remember the first time I read Connectivism by George Simmons and I said, yes, that's it. I mean, that's it. And when I read about rhizomatic learning by Dave Cormier, I said, wow, he is talking about my learning process. I mean, it's me, you know, it's me in that story. Yeah. yeah. And I was reading Terry Anderson and John Duran's publications like Poetry, you know, I really enjoyed reading them. If I have to suggest two names, they would be Ramesh Sharma and John Duran. I'm not sure if they are featured. Uh, Ramesh Sharma, who is from India, uh, he is an influential voice in the Asian region. And John Duran from Canada still writes very poetically and inspires me a lot. Uh, probably, you know, these two names would be these brilliant scholars. Well, Aras, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I've learned a lot over our interview. Uh, thank you so much for being a leader and legend of online learning. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, thank you for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to introduce my thoughts. Mutual pleasure. Thank you. You can learn more about Aras and his work from our website. That concludes this episode. Be sure to go to our website, www.onlinelearninglegends.com to follow up on this episode's guest. You'll also find links to others whose ideas continue to inspire and teach online learning professionals, and you can subscribe to future interviews. If you know of a leader or legend we've not yet talked to, please do drop us a line at onlinelearninglegends at gmail.com.